0: Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Bridge, a show connecting East and West. I am your guest host, Jesse Appel. I was a stand-up comedian for nine years in China, and now I'm in Los Angeles doing Chinese comedy, English comedy, and really a little bit of everything. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, consider giving us a like or giving us five stars, suggestions or comments, anything that you'd like to share with us. Hit us up with an email at welovethebridge at gmail.com. That's we love the bridge. Today, as a guest on the podcast, we have my very good friend, Tom Xia. Tom, say hello to everybody.
1: Hey, everybody. My name is Tom Shaw, and uh, pre-COVID, I was a filmmaker, and now I am a TikToker slash stay-at-home dad.
0: There we go. So see what the world has changed. The world has changed, man. But the good thing about Tom... Uh, in addition to his uh, amazing uh, grace in hosting us at his place for this podcast recording, (laughs) um, has been um, that Tom is a very good friend of mine. We were in the same Chinese comedy troupe together. We did a Chinese improv, Chinese stand-up, and uh, he's been a good friend of mine as I've gone throughout my Chinese uh, comedy career. And so uh, that is actually the topic for today's discussion is uh, stand-up in China, comedy in China, how it's been evolving. And, you know, this has been my life for the last 10 years, and it's been your life for, you know, how long have you been doing comedy?
1: Oh, man. Whereas it's not so funny anymore. I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I don't know. A long time. A
0: long time. Is that is that uh, inability to answer from the fact you don't want to tell people, or you've just forgotten it's when just you started funny?
1: When you have two kids, nothing is... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is funny anymore. Nothing's funny anymore. Their, their, their cries drowns out all the laughter. Exactly. This is going to be a great podcast, by the way, if you if you don't feel it already. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So um, I think uh, the reason that I want to pick stand-up as a topic for these sort of things is um, I think it's a perfect example of one of those things where you, you see it. And then there are so many different perspectives to take, even on the same joke. Um, but then once you start crossing cultures and doing different types of comedy and different languages, so many interesting questions pop up. And that's honestly really the reason why, I think not the reason I went to China, but the reason I stayed was because when I was studying abroad and I couldn't speak any Chinese and I had went to China and learned that I was saying the word war, wo, which means I incorrectly, and for years, and nobody had corrected me until I went to China. <laughs> and I realized this language is really hard to learn. When I was in a new country and a new culture, falling back on, like, who am I? My personality of trying to make people laugh turned out to be, like, the way through all that struggle. And even before I even started doing comedy professionally, just, like, the, the value of humor when you're dealing with that sort of uh, discontinuity that comes from the culture clash was really, really important. And so... That eventually turned into sort of saying like, hey, an interest in what is comedy in China like? And that led me to start studying Xiangsheng, the traditional crosstalk comedy, and led me to start doing stand-up on stage. And um, that's kind of my journey of how I got into comedy in China. And then what about you? Uh, give everybody a little explanation of your, your journey into doing comedy in general and then into China.
1: Yeah, I was always interested in like in performance and acting uh, as a kid, and then uh, in high school, I joined the speech and debate class. Speech and debate, I failed apparently. <laughs> you yeah. failed the speech speech debate class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the speech and debate <laughs> class, and and it, it turned out like I wasn't interested in the debates at all, but <laughs> speech branched out into. You can write your own comedy scripts. Mm. So that's what kind of started things off for me. And um, in college, uh, I did sketch comedy. Uh, and after college, I uh, started dabbling into improv. Um, I've always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I never wanted to... I don't know. I, everything I did, I wrote, uh, was always circling back to comedy. Even the dramas that I started out with. You know, So I felt like this is something that... That I gravitated towards, and uh, and I was completely wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I was completely wrong in yeah. what sense, man? Yeah, and that I, nothing is funny. Of, <laughs> live a life of laughter. Yeah. yeah that, well,
0: so there's two questions to that. It's like you know, funny to you? At least you enjoyed it, even if nobody else laughed. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I
1: tell my wife every day. <laughs>
0: exactly. Um. So yeah. So the uh the way I'm gonna be doing this uh, podcast we're gonna have uh, three segments. This first segment, the topic is just sort of like, what is comedy in China like? And sort of looking at, uh, particularly stand-up, but we've also done improv, we've also done sketch, we'll get into that a little bit later, but sort of like, what is it like right now? Because when I come back to the States, and people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a Chinese comedian. And they're like, what does that mean? Like Like,
1: get out. They're, yeah, they're Get like, out of the 7 Eleven right now. Yeah, they're
0: like, sir, we just need you to pay for your gas. <laughs> I didn't even ask you what your job was. You're just volunteering this yeah. information. Yeah. Then I hit them with, like, Duan Well, it's actually male And then they're like, you still sir, have to pay. <laughs> you still have to pay. It doesn't um, matter
1: if you're a Chinese comedian. And then I not. go
0: home and uh, and I cry in Chinese. It's great. It's yeah. actually a fantastic. How do you life.
1: cry in Chinese, by the way?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how do you cry in English? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is a translation in <laughs> practice. Yeah. The comedy scene really blew up in the time that I was there. And for me, my move to China year was 2012. That's when I I got a Fulbright grant to research Chinese comedy. So I was lucky enough that... Out of school, my first job was to be a comedian, and, which is crazy. Jesse. And, yeah, which is crazy, and doubly crazy was it didn't even matter if I was funny; they would still pay me the grant.
1: I mean, it was crazy <laughs> for Fulbright to pay you. <laughs> oh, oh,
0: okay. You, you, they're, I, they're crazy. You you didn't mean that, in sort of like you did a good job, crazy. It was more like, <laughs> like mm, what, what
1: was Fulbright? What, what was Fulbright thinking? Um,
0: I'm kidding, the, man. The uh, the the fun of that though was that I um, I got into Chinese comedy actually not through the Western styles. But by doing the traditional xiangchun crosstalk comedy, it's a two-person style. There's a joker, a straight man, and it's all taught and mastered to student. So my first uh, job out of school was apprenticing to master Ding Guangquan and uh, studying this traditional comedy style, which is actually quite vibrant still in China. Yes, and that that was. Um, it was really cool because it's like, if like I, I feel like it's almost like people that go to like a renaissance fair or something a like that. A
1: revival if, yeah. Well,
0: like in America, if you, if you like knights and horses and jousting, you can go to a renaissance fair, but there's nowhere where people are really doing that. But in China, like there was this old art form that it felt, like it came, it was straight out of the Qing Dynasty, but people were still doing it. It was like alive, yeah. And so, like that was something that was super, super fun to and thriving to too. Yeah, and actually, recently it go, it goes in ups and downs. And I feel like a lot of times people think that that crosstalk is not thriving because the internet has gotten so big so quickly. Yeah, but it actually, it isn't smaller than it used to be. It just hasn't grown at like the pace TikTok has. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'll, I'll try sort to of share my story of how I got into the scene and what was like at the beginning. And then I want to hear yours. Um when I got there in 2012 there was this crosstalk that I was studying but stand up the western style was just starting and we would go I, I feel like there were 10 people in the whole country that really knew what stand up was yeah. um and um we would do like uh shows where the audience had no idea what it was they were watching and the translation of stand up has always been the most frustrating thing sure. ever because in, in Chinese it's translated as talk show which is talk show and um so people would come and they would show up and they expected to see like oprah winfrey or something like that like a talk program or like ellen DeGeneres. right and there we would go up and do jokes and they'd be like when are you inviting up the guest
1: yeah and they're like <laughs> when are you going to start acting like oprah
0: yeah exactly and and, and um and I, and I just Jesse can't do, would have Oprah. To do Oprah. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god! I would or be, Ellen and Ellen. I would be a horrible Oprah <laughs> or Ellen for that matter. Um, but yeah, so it started out really as this as this nothing thing. Like literally, we couldn't find twenty people to get into a bar in 2012. Now it's 2022. It's on TV. It's like it's it's booming. It's like a huge thing. I mean, it's it's big enough that the um,
1: it's mainstream. It's, it's gone it's mainstream. Like it's,
0: it's gone mainstream, and it And it's gone mainstream in a different way than it did in the states, which we'll definitely get into. But it's yeah. it's there
1: and. Um, it's what all the cool kids are doing. It's all the cool kids are doing. And what now. I mean by cool kids, I mean like the nerds, but it's kind of cool, right? <laughs> well, now.
0: and that's actually. The medium is cool. That's one of the interesting things about it is that the people who are listening to it in China, they tend to be fairly well educated. Yes. And um, But also, I uh, think. The way I
1: said yes, it's just like. Yes. Uh, uh, yes. Only, yeah. the, oh, only yes. the educated. Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> I like Tom. Yeah, we we, we uh, pay Tom per yes. Yes. That's how this works. So <laughs> whenever I say something, he agrees, and
1: then I give him 50 cents. Yeah, I'm the Antonio Brown of podcast. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) and nobody's gonna get that
0: um stand up has been great because it's been a way it was a way for me to express myself in in uh in doing comedy and and i think that's one of the reasons why people are drawn to it and so i guess for uh, we'll say from from your perspective how do you see the the growth of stand up and why is it why is it becoming a thing now
1: i mean it's it's just such a it's such an exciting surprise to see i grew up I grew up in L.A. I moved here when I was eight years old, and I remember every. You should Chinese- say Tom
0: is uh, Chinese American. I'm Chinese American. See it over the radio. Yeah.
1: Um, every Chinese New Year, we'd watch uh, you know variety shows that were broadcasted back home. It, 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 everybody in China watches these, and and you'd have like crosstalk and you'd have sk- skits, and that's when you see like the biggest comedians in China come out, and they were hilarious. But that would happen like once a year. That's when really people get really got into comedy and this was in the 90s so when I went back to China like five years ago I met up with Jesse I mean like I knew like Xiangsheng was kind of it was growing there was like a resurgence of of Xiangsheng but stand-up was still pretty fresh nobody knew how to how to capitalize off of that yeah. yet. And I just knew like when Jesse was doing it was just kind of exciting because one thing that really stuck out to me was like oh Jesse was doing stand up every night at different venues. And coming from LA I just knew like how like what a like what a gift that was to be able to go on stage every night and yeah, do that. very
0: China's very population dense. So like Beijing like, really, the only cap on how many shows you can have in a city of Beijing, which is 20 million people, is, yeah. like, how, ma- how much market interest there is. And so, in the beginning, there would only be one show a night because nobody knew what it was. But now, like, I was just talking to a friend of mine, Tony Cho, who's, like, again, one of those people that was, like, the first 10 that were that were doing comedy before 2012, doing stand-up, and he's, like... I don't want to tell you this because you're just going to be pissed because you can't get a visa back now because of COVID. But like you could do 10 shows a night in Beijing. That's now. amazing. And he's like, there are people who are making, um, he was like, you know, he's saying like several, one, I B, so like, you know, two, three, four thousand U.S. dollars a month just doing shows, just gigging. Wow. And like, that's a real income yeah. in China. Like, that's like.
1: Yeah, that's you can live off of that.
0: I mean my 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 uh, standard in China is just if I can make more than what an English teacher makes, you're doing real money in China, right <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the uh, so like that's a thing now yeah uh, and and honestly, you know, and I don't want to speak ill of any stand-ups or anything like that, but like the quality. Is 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 a little bit uneven even in these shows that are selling hundreds of tickets just because people are so interested and it's so hard to do stand up well. There are only so many people in China that have been stand up for ten years. Right. There's only a couple. So like people are willing to pay money not just for stand like top tier stand up, but they're they're interested in paying um, for all sorts of all sorts of stuff.
1: Yeah. So Jesse, I actually I have a question yeah. for you. You know, so you went to China to do Xiangsheng. Yep. Like when did you decide to switch to stand-up? Like because Xiangsheng was bigger at the time, so why not continue doing that?
0: It's funny, like the I almost went into doing stand-up by accident because what happened was is I was I was studying this traditional comedy form. I was apprenticed to Master Ding um, I, you go on stage with a robe, you're in a tea house or a very Chinese environment. There's a table in front of you, you got a fan and a wooden block. It's like, it's all Chinese. The only thing that was not Chinese there was me. And there are certain types of jokes that just work really well in that environment. And then there were types of jokes where it's like, I don't want to be the weird thing in the room. I want to be me. I want to tell my story. And I, I, and I was thinking about trying to do it in Xiangsheng, and I realized I just can't do it. I'm fighting too much imagery when I try to just tell a story about my life um, in the crosstalk aesthetic. And I was like, what way would I just have to just tell a joke? And I was like, oh, that's stand up. You go on in jeans and a t shirt, or you go on and you wear whatever the hell you want, and you just talk about your life. And then the question became, is there any stand-up in China? Right, it was and, a
1: more direct way for you to express. It your, was a way your of your experience. Me,
0: there was types of cultural content that I'm very glad that we have the chance to to do in the traditional format. Like in, in the traditional format, you have these pieces like Dui Chun. Like, you know, matching New Year's scrolls. There's a lot of language stuff about a puns. It's a very cultural thing about Chinese New Year. If you do that in a stand-up show, it's going to be weird. It's just like no one really goes to their friend and be like, hey, what's your New Year's scroll this year? It's just unnatural. But in crosstalk, it feels natural and comforting. And so I'm glad that that format exists. But also, if I want to tell a story about like, you know, getting like, you know, crazy diarrhea because I decided that I was going to eat at the same restaurant, which had a C on its health inspection every day. True story. Um, uh, if I wanted to tell that story, it was very inappropriate in the Xiangsheng context. And, and also I will have to say that you kind of make it sound like it was a business or a career decision to make that shift. I kind of was just like, whatever let's, let's try fix. this and see how it yeah. yeah i mean especially then like you know i was um my first year out of school again i just had this uh stipend where it wasn't a lot of money but i i couldn't do other work they forbade me from how doing much other was it a few work. a few million
1: a few a few million that's won. barely anything yeah. a few million korean won. how do you, how did you, you know, survive a few <laughs> million, so,
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to live on a million oh um <laughs> That should be the new name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> tough, uh, on the <laughs> tough on the Millie. Tough um, on the Millie. But yeah, the, the switch, I, I always have felt like I never wanted to pin myself down to doing any one style because there's some like comic ideas where I'm like, this should be a sketch. Right. Like this is a character sketch. I could find a way to do it as stand up. It really shouldn't be stand up. It should be a sketch. And so I got into writing sketch. So so let's get back to the um the question about comedy in China now and stand up growing. Why do you think it's growing? Why do you think we've seen this crazy growth?
1: I mean just just from my personal experience listening to Chinese stand up material versus like uh like crosstalk material and other other form, like more traditional formats I just feel like it's more liberating. They have a wider range of topics that they can discuss and there's less formality i mean to your point earlier what
0: sort of like a topic like recently like have you seen any chinese bits come out recently i mean there's
1: a chinese comedian her name is Yang Li, and you know like one of her most like infamous lines was you know you know chinese guy well just no she said men in general they're just um what is it they're so confident and so ordinary how is that possible <laughs> yeah it's sort of this yeah show. like they're so confident yes so ordinary like yeah and that that line blew up and like like around the world too like it's just it's so it's so powerful and it's so funny yeah. because there's truth in that you know it's it's uh i think a lot of families including my own it's like you know, my, I think my parents' generation still favor boys over girls. So, you know, and, and we grew up in the age of an, uh, the only child uh, policy. So we, it's almost you know, like the, the, a lot of overconfident men, <laughs> Yeah, like including myself. Like, yeah, it's like the uh,
0: overconf like it, it's it, people would rather choose an overconfident man than a competent woman at the same task. And I think that a lot of the, a lot of that social, you know, sort of uh, tension like laughter is the best way to let it out. Like that's, I mean, I've always felt that. It's like, like if you take that same bit and just turn it into a rant and just complain, everybody's pissed. You're pissed. The men are pissed. You know, in this case, Yang Li pissed off a couple men, but I think there were also other men who were like, yeah, eh, I, I see it. I see it. Oh, um, I
1: mean, there's you – know, the best comedy, you know, speaks on truth. I think it's yeah. a reflection of of what's going on. And, yeah. and
0: this is specifically why I think it's it's coming out in China right now, why stand-up is working, is that even the traditional style of Xiangsheng, it's actually one of the unique parts about crosstalk is that it's very meta in that you, as a crosstalk performer – play a crosstalk performer on stage. Yeah. You don't it's not like, hey, I'm Jesse you're Tom. It's like I'm Jesse and this is my partner, Tom.
1: Yeah, you have a and character.
0: You you play a character of yourself, whereas stand-up, it's like if I go on stage as Jesse, people believe what I say as my actual opinion. Because I'm just talking to you.
1: Absolutely. In fact, if you start playing a character, that's actually a it does a disservice to you. If you play somebody, if you right, I mean, tell, yeah. right, if you're a comedian and if you act one way on stage and then off off stage, you're like completely different. People will f- people find that feel jarring. fake they like exactly. Like, you know, and so, so that's, that's the worst thing that can happen. And
0: so it's it, it is an art form that encourages authenticity, uh, authenticity and expression. And so. And that is something that even in other types of Chinese entertainment, there I feel like there's always a veil. If it's a movie, they're characters. If it's a crosstalk show, they're, they're playing it up a bit. Um, you know, if it's a book, it's a story that was written. Right. But like stand-up is like the closest you can get to like, you know, having the performer almost like being your friend that you're just talking to, that you're just listening to your friend talk. Right. And, um, and there's a simplicity in the, in the performance style where there is no set, there is no props, there is no, like, um, there, there's so little artifice that it allows, it almost allows the audience, I think, to open up and be more free thinking themselves because they get the, uh. Because there's so little artifice there.
1: Yeah, and it's a celebration of like self expression. You're really an individual when you're on stage. Everybody, every comedian is different. Yeah. Well,
0: that sounds like a good summation of the phenomenon. And uh, we're going to go now to the second part in just a moment. Welcome back. You are listening to The Bridge. Second part of the show <laughs> is about um, Tom and I, you may have noticed that uh, we wrote together on the same improv troupe. We, uh, we were founding members of the Ye Zixiang Oye Improv, which uh, later became an improv to sketch group. And later, uh, we actually moved to Shanghai together for six months to write on a show called Jia Zu which um, the English name of the show is Dis Family, which was a horrible, I just can't. I hate that name. Yeah. Diss not not like, not like this family. Like this, yeah. like <laughs> the word dissing was like, for some reason popular in China that year. And mm-hmm. so they just called it diss family, like a family of people that diss each other. It wasn't yeah. a great name.
1: And they never asked.
0: No, they didn't. They had thoughts. Americans on the show. They didn't ask. Anyway, yeah. not that we're bitter about that at all. Um, and no, uh, anyway, we were there writing the show and this was like a knockoff version of SNL. Every week we would have a celebrity guest. We would have, a uh, about 36 hours to write scripts table read, get your notes, second table read. If the show was made, then all of a sudden you're in crazy mode, trying to, you have three days yeah. to block, rehearse props. Uh, they built us a whole new set. Uh, but anyway, so I wanted to talk about that because if we're talking about doing comedy in China, we were in the trenches. Yeah. Um, and so I just wanted to say like, what, like, what was it like for you being a comedy writer on essentially Chinese SNL?
1: Yeah, I mean, writing on Chinese SNL, it was challenging. It was exciting. It was really exciting because you felt like, wow, we're doing, we're doing, we're doing it. Yeah. We're, we're putting up sketches, and this is uh, one of the first show of its kind. So we were really excited. But I mean, it's we get it. It's tiring. It was. It was exciting. It was challenging because I think culturally for us, we had certain sensibilities that. Maybe I personally assumed what would put us in a favorable position because we were Americans, we were mistaken.
0: Well, see, I think what it was is that in the beginning of the show, they didn't have an identity for the show. And they were obviously basing this off of SNL. So the, they had the idea of wanting a more American taste. But then the, everybody else on the staff was not able to do that. And so we would come up with stuff, and I'm thinking the very first sketch. I want to go over some of the sketches that we made and, yeah. and uh, be able to share with people. And there's a few that we're about, proud of. A Few that we're proud of. But um, the first sketch that we came up with that looked almost for a while like it was going to get on the show was the uh, iPhone uh, 8 and iPhone X sketch.
1: Yeah, it was it was iPhone 8, and then it went straight from iPhone 8 to iPhone 10.
0: Yeah, so that right. was our that was our question is like what happened to iPhone 9 cut to iPhone 9 getting its head like thrust into a toilet bowl like mafia style uh-huh. you know getting tortured by iPhone 10 and the pro- and, the, and right. the, the i think the premise was like iPhone 10 wanted to come out early and yeah. so he kidnapped iPhone 9 so he could come out
1: now yeah iPhone 10 wanted its 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 spotlights <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and so we, uh, you know, we pitched this sketch <laughs> in the first ever writers' room meeting, and we actually got good responses.
1: Yeah, because it was just so out of left field uh, by Chinese sensibilities at the time. Yeah, yeah. I
0: remember we like printed out like a giant iPhone front and like papered it like taped it to somebody's like chest or something. So yep. the idea was that we would have like a full body iPhone suit and then I just loved the idea of somebody in a full body iPhone suit just getting their head jammed in a toilet and then like, you know, like, you know, when are you coming out? And like, you know, today. No. <laughs> um and so that was the the funny thing because you you know for years I was saying like what would what would I do if I had a chance to do a, a sketch on SNL China or whatever you think about all this sort of stuff and then it comes down to like what's going on that week
1: yeah and we were excited we're so excited because we're like is this really gonna happen on Chinese like TV that, yeah yeah
0: and so that was the big and and that was actually kind of the the current theme throughout a lot of the stuff was we were always in this position of like and there were many levels to that obviously like what will the directors like that's a big thing. What will the props people actually be able to do? Because like you know, the, sometimes you'd come up with an idea. Like I remember, I sent, uh, I I had a whole sketch. Do you remember the the uh, the the German the Qinghua bottle factory? Yeah, sketch? Yeah, that was
1: that was one of my favorites. So <laughs> so the guest that week was a guy who always played a gangster, and he was known for for smashing beer bottles during dinner and then threatening his opponents with the beer with a yeah with the broken beer bottle so yeah. that was his kind of his signature move and now that he's retired he's like a he's a manager at a, at a- yeah that was we, we were saying
0: like because we were thinking where are we going to put the celebrity and so i thought it would be funny to have him be the quality control manufacturer at xinghua <laughs> bottle factory <laughs> <laughs> and then and this was uh th- i still think that was like you know this was the problem is like we did improv and and the thing about doing improv in the American sense is like you don't want to do the scene everyone's seen before. Yeah. You want to do the scene where like everybody else. Our thinking was everybody else is going to make him act like a gangster. What other reason is there for smashing bottles that we can get away with? And so I was thinking like he should be a bottle quality. Yeah, like the most
1: responsible way for smashing a bottle.
0: <laughs> and so the the and so we wrote this sketch, which I still think was really funny, where like he would like threat like you would like he would be like treated with great respect as the expert and then I as the visiting German bottle factory like you know like cooperative whatever I wrote some weird role in there so we could get a white person into the sketch where I was like the German bottle expert and I kept getting my head hit with these bottles um, and we actually bought the breakaway like glass, uh, like um, yeah, sugar, prop. sugar glass uh, bottles that you can actually break. And we didn't tell anyone. So nobody else on the show outside of the props, manufac, of uh, the props person, when we went to do our first table read knew that the glass bottles we had were breakaway bottles. Yeah. And so we had um, Joey, Joey Kong, uh, who was one of the actors on the show. He had to hit me over and over with these bottles. Um, and they broke, but nobody else knew they were going to break. Yeah. So when we did the first table read, that was actually one of my favorite moments in the entire making of the show was hearing the gasp from the entire directors and cast and writing and crew of getting my head smashed with this bottle um, as part of our sketch. <laughs> and um, that was just like, that yeah, was
1: beautiful. That, that was a good moment. So yeah.
0: we what we found out was like creatively as a comedy writer – what we wanted to do that was the most funny, we later had to really temper this, like you know, to to fit the celebrity. Like for instance, when we another sketch that we got onto the show was uh, with the swimmer uh, and the guy that we wrote a sketch for. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like we made a sketch um, where like the conceit of the sketch was like it had something to do with his like his warm up music or something like that. Like he needed his warm up music. And that was a whole sketch. Like he just kind of got upset when he couldn't get his warm up music.
1: Yeah, if you're not laughing, it's because it was not um, a. It, it's not funny. It wasn't. Well, <laughs> it we, was okay. Actually. We played
0: it okay, but it was just like that was the sort of thing where we wound up realizing like you can pitch that in one sentence to celebrity like, hey, you're known for needing your warm up music. Um, we want to do a sketch where like you don't get it, and and like you know it, it winds up messing everything up, and you have an assistant that because. That was the thing because he didn't get his uh, His, warm-up music. His headphones malfunctioned, so he couldn't get his music. so we had the sketch was um, we wrote in two performers who did like um, Chinese, like northeastern style singing to basically like sing and dance for him to entertain him live with with live, which was like obviously very funny in a sketch environment with like diving boards and yeah it was funny also there was a brief moment where i thought i would get to play michael phelps right and uh like take my shirt off and stand next to the actual olympic swimmer and look not even a little bit like michael phelps and, and then unfortunately, they sh- they that, didn't shot that they shot that after down
1: after Jesse took off his shirt yeah
0: <laughs> so so the, after all these these sort of war stories of trying to get this stuff onto the show, what did you take away from that show after doing it um, after all those experience of writing the Chinese comedy sketches, like, yeah what did you take out of that show i think
1: during the so during the process, it was largely frustrating because you're in it, you just want your sketches get made and it was harder for us to write because it wasn't our native language you know it was just we felt more comfortable writing in English and culturally too we just understood less about what was like really hitting what wasn't but having experienced that I just knew like you like if that show continued for 10 years it would just be in a better place if it was allowed to grow to germinate it was just it was like at such an early stage people were still trying to figure out just what the heck sketches I mean like we
0: we we had studied some western style sketch stuff you did sketch in college I did sketch in college we wrote this sketch which was hilarious um about uh like all the big tech entrepreneurs acting like children yeah. and just like doing exactly the same thing they were doing in real life That was too controversial um, huh? yeah and the in the the result that we got from it was it, you know what it was? Is it felt like people were not willing to attack that level of of like person in society, and and that and you know, this is the question. That cultural thing is like SNL. I w- I wonder. I haven't been on that show. It doesn't look like that's ever a concern.
1: <laughs> I'll say this. I think the producers but, the producers tried. I mean, the show did. is called Disfamily. Family. Yeah. I just remember they tried to push, but. When they receive pushback, even from within, they realize, like, okay, we have to. And maybe, you know, I'm just guessing here, but maybe that's what ultimately got the show canceled. They realize, like, this is not something that we want to.
0: Well, I, this is the know. challenge of making all, all shows in, in that sort of environment is like, is so, the question is if this works, and we do more of it, is it leading into trouble or away from trouble? Yeah. And so that was, I think that was part of the concern. The other thing about that is I think as you were saying, it was just so new that I think if we had written on that show for 10 seasons, everybody would have gotten better and figured out their place. But like, I feel like the first five episodes, I was trying to figure out how am I helpful to this show? Yeah. Also, it was even more confusing because they started out the show being half stand-up and half sketch and the stand-up kind of faded away. So I spent a lot of my time on stand-up material that nobody's stand-up material made the show. Right. But I was spending my time at open mics and, and you know, time that I could have been writing sketches. I was I was doing com- stand-up.
1: Yeah. And, and I remember when Jesse was doing uh, stand-up at the time, uh, the, the show, they signed a few young stand-up comedians they were like in their early 20s these were just like guys straight out of uh college or even like yeah like they were just very young and they were new to stand up and fast forward six years later like these are some of the biggest names yeah, in stand up right yeah, now. Yeah, like, yeah um, Wang Ming. Yeah, Wang Min, one one like the best stand up comedian. He's kinda like the Adam Sandler of China. Comedy thing going yeah, on. he sings his stand up. He's got a guitar, so it's just very reminiscent of Adam Sandler's early days. And, you know, the Chinese audience they they love him. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's yeah.
0: and so that was um so that, that show, I think it was it, very educational in many ways to kind of be in the process of doing that, because a lot of times, especially with comedy in the States, uh, when you're doing cross-cultural stuff, everything is so political about, you know, who gets to say what type of joke, how does it work? And to some degree, it was those were issues that I had to deal with there, too um but to, yeah. but to other extents it wasn't really that much of a problem it, like it feels like it's more of a challenge here than it was there
1: yeah and i remember when you were doing stand up you know it was a frustrating time for you figuring out like what your kind of persona should be how they were going to market you yeah. but but i feel like they were also really trying to help you find that so they can market you yeah
0: well this is the thing is that like you know the difference between doing stand up in the western style of comedy specials being the end product versus essentially the way that comedy runs in China, which is like a K-pop model. Like, you know, you are a celebrity as part of a group of other comedians and each of them has a role. You're the dancer, you're the pretty one, you're the whatever, you're the guitarist. Um, That's the model that's taken over China. Whereas in America, the model is like, you need to stand on your own as a whole persona for 60 minutes so in the in the k-pop model if i did just jewish jokes and that worked that would be enough they don't they can find other people to do other jokes and i just do the jewish jokes and then i come on to every episode for six minutes to do jewish jokes if that was enough it would have worked right and and that was the problem was i fought that about being the the equivalent was the la white joke. So I just like talk about being a white guy entirely. It's all I talk about is foreigner in China, foreigner in China. If that if I was able to just do that, I would have been very useful to the yeah. show. But I wasn't able to write. And that and that's the and the, the uh, because the scene was so new there. Like the companies that put together the comedy shows know they need to incubate the standup community, and so yeah. they do that actually very successfully. That's been. Uh, even here in LA, like there are more mics in in Beijing. It feels like than there are. Yeah, in LA. Shanghai, Beijing. Yeah, like, so,
1: yeah, it's it's exciting. It's yeah. an exciting movement, and it's it's uh it's still growing.
0: Yeah. All right. So that's the uh, second thing on being the comedy writers. Uh, we're gonna come back for our third and final segment in just a moment. Welcome back. You are listening to the Bridge. Uh, So we're doing this episode on comedy in China. We've talked about stand-up. We've talked about sketch, SNL type stuff. Um, I want to go to the future of comedy, man. That's what I want to talk about now. Future comedy in China. Future comedy in the uh, world. And the year
1: two thousand. You remember the Conan O'Brien bit? No. Oh my (laughs) God! You got to, Yeah. We gotta look. Yeah, they talk about the future, and they both put on like Conan, and a guest puts on glasses. And they, they just start singing like in the year two thousand And it was and it was like two thousand and five already. <laughs> there we go. So
0: this is this is what we wanna ask is anyway. so what's going on in the um, in the new world of comedy and um uh and and you know maybe this is just my perspective because of course I, I came here before COVID hit COVID hit when I was in midair and I've right. se- effectively been literally tra- <laughs> literally um I've essentially been in exile in my own country for two years now because I can't get back into China and so I've spent the last two years being a comedian entirely on the internet basically yeah uh and having been we'll say forced to do that I've realized now that I was really underestimating the power of the internet the entire time I was in China. The entirety of my um, my journey as a comedian, even being a professional comedian, I really didn't understand how amazing it is that we have these tools that allow you to just... I just think something's funny right here on the couch. I take a video and a million people can know within an hour. Yeah, I mean, like, I wouldn't even go as
1: far as to say you you were very like anti-
0: I was, I, you know what? And you know remember what it was? when we
1: first mentioned oh, like yeah. like Douyin? You were just like, "I'm too old for this."
0: Yeah, Douyin is uh, the is TikTok in China. It's the same company. It's just called Douyin in China and TikTok in America. It's actually two different apps that look very similar. But the um, I was against it for a long time, and I'll tell you why I was against it. Were what I thought then and what I think now. Yeah. Before I thought, hey. I'm a professional. I need to insist upon being a professional to make a living because otherwise you get taken advantage of in, 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 in entertainment. If you don't value your own work, then nobody else will value your own work. And so that's why I can't put stand-up bits that I've worked months and sometimes even years on onto a short platform for 35 seconds, cutting up my stuff in a way that's not good for the art just to fit a tech company's vision of what will make them money. That was the idea. Um, all of that, by the way, still feels kind of true. <laughs> but there was a counterbit to that, which was uh, which was this, which is that um, if you let's say that what I was really upset about was I think I was I was afraid and I think I was arrogant, not arrogant, overly proud. The fear came from the fact of what does it mean if I spent a year on this joke and no one likes it? Cause I knew people liked it live, but what does it mean about my life that it only works live Right. No, and, that, it, and it doesn't work on the internet? What if that were true?
1: I think, I think, yeah, you hit a nerve with that. I think a lot of people in the traditional, like in traditional comedy feel the same way. They yeah. feel like, like I'm stepping down to a new format, a lesser format. And if it doesn't work out, then I've embarrassed myself.
0: Yeah. And I think that, that, and, and that's where the pride came in. Yeah. That's where it says being a live stand up is better than being a TikToker. Yeah. And that, that that's was, not just
1: you, Jesse. That's yeah. like, ev- like across the board. And, yeah. and
0: now I really, and, and what I have come to discover over the last two years of doing comedy on the internet, and I'd be interested to hear your take on this because you've also started to do TikTok, is that my view changed when I stopped thinking of it as an either or, but as a plus. They just help each other. Right. Like the, like, cause this is the way that I saw it is. Coexist. Eventually it was like, it was, it was all the fear. Like, what if I put it up and nobody sees it? Um, Dave Chappelle had this great quote that this reminds me of him. He was on a talk show and they asked him like, uh, like, aren't you afraid of bombing a joke? What goes on? What happens if you go on stage and you say a joke and nobody laughs? And he said, I'll tell you what happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. You you just go home. (laughs) Like, and that was the thing that I realized with the, with the TikTok is like, let's say I spend a year and I put it on TikTok and it bombs. What happens? Nothing happens. That joke still works just as well as it did live. Yeah. And, and I just missed out on having something extra happen. Yeah. But if it, but the alternative is what if it goes well? And now you have, yeah, you've burned a joke. But first of all, you can still do the same joke twice. Like people are not going to be like, you suck. You said that joke that I saw on the internet seven months ago. Like people don't actually think that way. Um, but the, the bigger thing was that it was just a very basic, like almost like Darwinian thing that I didn't think of is like, if the joke bombs on the internet, no one's seen it. So you haven't blown it. You can still use it. And if the joke succeeds on the internet, it brings other good things and then you have to write another joke. And the best situation you could ever be in as a comedian is all you have to do is write the jokes because everybody's bashing down the door to see you. Like, that's, just, that's the position everybody wants to be in. Yeah. So the future of the Internet, I think, is how do we combine the sort of like the live comedy element, which is so important. And honestly, the, the thing I miss most about my old life before pandemic was being able to show up at a show and just like do jokes um, but it doesn't, but it doesn't have to go away. It, it works with the internet. You put the video on the internet. It makes people want to go and watch you. You watch people live and you want to follow that person on the internet.
1: Yeah. And, and you can actually start designing your, uh, up bits with certain sound bites that kind of market your show or market your, your brand. I just recently, uh, you know, you know, I mean, your friend, like the king of uh, talk like show, kind of yeah. stand up reality and show, he, and TV. he had this bit that just went viral, where where he the line was just like, "Listen to Bye Bye, listen to Bye Bye," <laughs> you know, like yeah, just like this old Chinese guy, uh, you know, uh, giving advice to younger people, but just this sound bite it has blown up. Just gone completely viral on TikTok mm. and throughout China, so like that's that's powerful. Yeah, that's even really like, powerful. Um,
0: like what's uh, the um, what's the Uncle Roger uh, in in uh, America? There's this uh, uh, he's Malaysian Chinese, I think. Um, oh yeah, the guy that does he does reviews of like people who make rice wrong and stuff right. like that. Yeah. but recently, this last couple weeks on on uh, Instagram, I've seen a clip of him, which is two seconds long of him going, emotional damage, you know. No, and it's, it's a, not the
1: same guy. That's a different guy. No, it's a different guy. Oh, this is super yeah. awkward now. That's yeah. not him? Yeah. Who is well, that? It's another Chinese comedian, Jesse.
0: Um, clip. My point here Bea, <laughs> is that even being memed into a two-second clip yeah, uh, can be a huge benefit to your comedy career because people see you repeatedly, even though it's only two seconds. It's crazy. It gets people interested. And so this is the sort of thing where like, you talked about the the pride and the fear. The The pride tells you that this is meaningless or worries that it's meaningless because it's so ephemeral. Yeah. But then the truth is, is just like people have always, from the first time that we told stories around the campfire to making $200 million, you know, big budget videos, the way we tell our stories always changes, but what we want out of them doesn't. And, and yeah. so I've tried to, really honed down when it comes to like how do you do the internet as a comedian now like what's the point of being a comedian if my job is to make people laugh if I can make people laugh because I saw a funny sign and I want to take a seven second video with the funny sign and just like throw it up on the internet I honestly feel like that's the stuff that gets rewarded on the
1: internet right and and then another question is are you doing this as a service to yourself or is it a service to your audience Mm. like a lot of uh, traditional stand-up comedians are still not warming up to the idea of, of TikTok and these like smaller comedy clips because they, you know, they're doing think, it for themselves. Well, well, I mean, I guess they're doing it because they like the stage and it is a good feeling. I think being on stage uh, connecting with an audience, it is a, it is, it's irreplaceable. But at the same time, if it's, to make people laugh and entertain people, like imagine the amount of people you can reach through platforms like TikTok. Yeah, that's amazing. It's just you can't. It's it you can't even quantify. Like yeah, yeah.
0: and I think that the and the other obviously the the biggest upside of of the online platforms and doing the internet is uh, no one can tell you no, right? Like you know, there's a there's this um especially for people that are doing things that are not like you know. Uh, mainstream enough to like have any hope of reaching television television (laughs) like you have to do the internet there's no other choice if you think of like cable tv there's 120 channels like you know couple sports channels home and garden channel is there a channel is there like there's a there's a cooking network a food network you know if you have 120 channels can you have one food channel sure the question is what happens when you have a hundred million channels right then because this is literally what it is they call them your YouTube channel or whatever, like if you have a hundred million channels, is there a channel for bilingual Chinese English comedy? I think so, one oh. channel for sure
1: yeah yeah I mean yeah absolutely and, uh, and, and there, there and, should be something for everybody that's the and, beauty of uh
0: and so this is and before it was either it was you know it was binary it was either you were on the TV or you were not on the TV now everybody's on the TV. Now it's like, Matter. whether you
1: know it or not, you're on the TV. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> right now, we're not even shooting this for video and we're already on the TV. We're
1: on the TV. Oh my
0: God. And I'm hoping that down the line, and we're already starting to see it in some ways, but I think that the most talented of the of the internet performers will find their way into doing other bigger budget projects. Like I think of Bo Burnham as an example. Oh yeah. Like, you know, he started making vines. That's like literally TikTok, Right. Um, and he did a bunch of funny vines enough that he had enough audience to throw together a show, started doing live stuff. And he happened to actually be truly talented at a lot of the stuff he was doing. And that was a way in that. Um, I'm not going to say that he couldn't have made it in Hollywood per se, but like, you know, everybody's got their own things to work through. He had a lot of stage fright and continues to have stage fright. Like that might not have been good if you were a talent agent to hire somebody with stage fright.
1: Yeah. And he's a massive talent. Yeah. Like, and he's a very talented yeah, person.
0: Yeah. He found his way through the internet. And, um, and that, that's kind of when I think about the type of content that I want to put on the internet as a, as a comedian sort of thinking like, what am I going to do? I like making the sort of stuff that it like, you know, I have the hope I feel of, of having it be bigger. Because there's some stuff that only works on the internet and that's fine if you want to have your whole life be on the internet, but something about the nature of comedy is just like, I can't imagine a world in which I'm doing what I'm doing now forever of like not being able to do the live shows.
1: You can do both. I think that's the beauty of I it. I think you it's, will it's eventually it's when the, Yeah, COVID is over. You can coexist. Yeah. They can, yeah, you can, you can do it all. Yeah.
0: So, and then what about you? Cause you're, so you're, I'm going to tell you, uh, you listening audience who, Uh, I'm assuming has not followed Tom Xia on TikTok, but you should. What a shame. Um, The journey of Tom Xia as a creator, Tom went to USC film school and knew real things about how to make movies. And my influence on him has been to say, make it shorter, make it cheaper. Make it, make it, make it, make it. And every time he wants to do something good, I tell him, no, you can't do that. You just have to make it. And then eventually you come out with TikToks, which you which you did. You're very much credit. Like you you can turn them out now.
1: Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's yeah. I mean that journey was uh what was that like? <laughs> I think it was a great journey for me to go to to feeling like, man, everything I do is super precious. And I think, you know, just anybody anybody who decides to become a filmmaker, I think puts puts filmmaking on a pedestal and that's hard and that gets it gets really hard for you. Because if you make something bad, that weighs really heavily on you. Mm. And having spent time in China just making crap, but having the experience to do that, and then through COVID making TikToks, you know, like the most I would do was like once uh, one TikTok a day. It was, it was a lot because you'd have to write and then film and then edit. But realize, like, oh man, like you know, just keep doing it. Nothing is precious, and and the best yeah. thing is good ideas you can always redo them and then you can you can make it better you can add on to it so through this process and it's actually the improv process yeah and it's actually the stand-up process too you burn so many jokes you realize like you realize what the good materials are yeah sheer number
0: this is always like the big difference i see between the people who are like are, are, are have a shot at making it as a comedian and the people who are like, I like comedy and funny ideas, but it's never going to happen. It's right. like, I'll have people tell me like, this would be funny, wouldn't it? I'm like, I, I think maybe do it, like share it with anybody, like make it and share it and see whether it works. And the people who are willing to put themselves out there and do that, get better. And the people who are like, you know, and sometimes I'll meet the same person six months later and they're like, hey, you know, this idea, like, remember that idea I had? Wouldn't that be funny? I'm like, dude, I don't know if it's gonna be funny. I think it's funny, but right. you have to make it.
1: The beauty is you can do it now.
0: You can do it now and and the um and the audience has been has had their expectations for the production value, especially of comedy, brought so low. You can throw a wig on or a bad green screen.
1: An AR, like the AR, AR wig. Like, yeah, it's even like, you know, a fake wig
0: that doesn't even exist just needs to be enough that the idea is there and people are filling in the rest of the the, the scene with their mind because they've seen, you know, if, if you want to pretend to be a policeman and you just have like a dopey police hat and throw up a, a JPEG in the background of a police car in a road, that's all you need.
1: It's interesting, man. It feels like technology around the world is moving at such a fast pace. Like, we're in America, we're past the point of just like traditional stand-up. TikTok yeah. is... Completely taken over. And it's taken over in China, too. Yet, stand-up is at a very early phase in its life in China. But how that all plays together and what's going to come of a stand-up in in an age of of TikTok is really interesting. I mean, I think in
0: China, the, the interesting thing for me is that people have seen comedians and stand-up particularly because the way to make it as a comedian what was the way to make it as a comedian in like really up until very very recently like the last couple years it was to apprentice to a Xiangsheng performer and apprentice and and wait until your master puts you on stage like that was the way to make it in the traditional
1: style it's like joining the Shaolin temple yeah
0: (laughs) it was it's literally the same process although i did a lot less setups but the, that was literally the way to make it. And and some people still think that way. And it's actually kind of a very Chinese mentality of how to make it. Like, you know, kind of find the right people, have the brand name, wait your turn. And then it, it's not a way that is unsuccessful in China. Like a lot of people can succeed at doing that. A lot of film actors do that. They join something, they, they attach themselves to a director, right? And then they just keep doing whatever that director tells them until they're given a, a lead role or yeah. a bigger role, a bigger role, a bigger role. But in, in nowadays with stand-up specifically, Every single stand-up performer that's blown up has blown up on the internet, either through a TV show on the internet or through social media. And there's even stand-up uh, performers that like you know uh, uh, are are big on the internet and are selling out shows that are not even interested in doing standard media. They don't care because they're so busy with the opportunities that come from the internet. They just don't feel the need to fight to get on a TV show because they're just so busy. So that is really encouraging, I feel like, for the for the younger comedians, because you don't have to put your faith in the fact that the internet will get you there. They've only ever seen the internet get you there. Yeah. Like comedians have never come out of the traditional media environment in China uh, very easily. It's always a Guadagong who is in a in a apprenticeship system. It was always like, you know. Uh, people, even like Kaixin Mahua, like one of the biggest, uh, comedy brands in China, they came from, from, uh, like, uh, like stage drama yeah. because they came up with something that actually worked in front of a real audience. Yeah, they, they didn't come out theater. of a TV station. They came out from theater. Yeah. So like it, the, um, it's not, uh, it's not at all like here where you think of like, Oh, I'm going to get an HBO special and then I'm going to be on a sitcom and the traditional media system will make me a, a successful comedian.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be um, a lot of opportunities. A lot of opportunities. And well, we've missed all of them. And we've missed all <laughs> of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, again, I'm Jesse
0: Pell. uh here with Tom Xia.
1: Yep, it was a pleasure.
0: Pleasure, guys. And uh, leave any comments uh, in the uh, messages because again, we're just getting started with the podcast. So, want to hear what you guys think is interesting, what directions we should take it, and um, uh, just uh, just in, just uh, be able to know that people are listening because ultimately. Uh, that's what we're here to do is try to give you guys some, uh, some some fun time something to listen to U.S.-China culture that is not about the world falling apart. Yay. So that'll be the plan. Well, thank you for listening to The Bridge. We will see you next time.